0: uh, interaction between religion and politics. Uh, Trent's a very good example of that. So you're going to hear a lot of names and dates and things, so it's a little hard to keep them straight. The details aren't that important, but I hope you get the the main points I'm trying to make. So one problem with the uh, interpretation of the Council of Trent is that uh, in the 17th century, so... uh, some 50 or 60 years after the council ended, uh, a classic history of the council was published by a man named Paolo Sarpi. Paolo Sarpi. Paul Sarpi, a Venetian, who interpreted the council as a papal conspiracy to prevent the reform of the church. Some decades later, a Jesuit, of Pallavicino, published a refutation. So those two kind of classic studies Maybe I sh- should say maybe muddied the waters of how the council should be interpreted, and you had these sort of these two extremes, uh uh Pallavicino defense of the papacy and defense of the council, and Sarpi on the other hand, saying it was a it was a mess, it was a scandal really, and a papal conspiracy. Things got much better in the middle of the last century with the publication of a work by a man named Hubert Dean. J-E-D-I-N, Hubert Dean, who died in uh, 1980. He was a Catholic priest, taught at the University of Bonn, wrote a uh, four-volume history of the council, which really set us on the right path. So I'm very much indebted to Hubert Dean for what I'm going to tell you now. Let's start at the beginning. Let's define a council. What is a council? My definition is it's a meeting principally of bishops gathered in Christ's name to make decisions binding on the church. So a meeting, it's not just an assembly, it's there to do business, principally of bishops. As you'll see, the Council of Trent, there were a lot of lay or not a lot of lay people, but some very important lay people there who were extremely influential during the council, but also especially outside the council and before the council. Uh, in Christ's name, this is their authority. Uh, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So here you have all these bishops. So they they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they believe, and uh, in Christ's name, uh, to make decisions binding on the church. That is to say, it's kind of a final court of appeal and binding on the church, either the local church or the whole church. Uh, And it's sort of like the Supreme Court, if you will, from which no appeal. At least that's that's the tradition. There uh, have been... Two classic types of councils, one, local councils, and there have been hundreds upon hundreds of those, and those decisions were binding on local churches. Then the Catholic Church recognizes 21 so-called ecumenical councils, that is to say, worldwide councils or church-wide councils that make decisions binding on the whole church. And in that list of 21, Trent is number 19. The next council after Trent was the middle of the 19th century, towards the end of the 19th century, 1869-70, the first Vatican council, and then the last was the second Vatican council in the middle of the 20th century. So that's where Trent fits in this lineup One thing that might surprise you is that although this council took place in the 16th century, a long time ago, the sources for it to reconstruct the history are abundant, and most of them have been published between 1901 and 2001 in a collection of documents that's 18 big volumes some of them running over a 1,000 pages. One of them, for instance, consists only in financial records. So we know a lot about the Council of Trent. It's, It's difficult, it's complicated, and so forth, but it can be reconstructed. Okay. Some basic facts. The Council met over the course of 18 years in three distinct periods. 1545 to 1547, 1551 to 1552, and then after an interval of 10 years...